God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. These are the words that we find at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. They are, in a sense, John's birth narrative, but for John, the beginning of Jesus's life and ministry goes all the way back to the beginning of the world as we know it, where the Word and God are one, and all things are happening with and through them. In the beginning, there was darkness, and God was there. In Genesis 1, we read that the world was formless and that darkness covered it, but the Spirit of God hovered over the deep and was there in the midst of the darkness. Then God spoke, and light appeared. God spoke again, and the sky appeared, and then water and land and plants and animals and people. God kept speaking, and life kept happening. But at the beginning of the story, there was darkness, and God was there. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene journeyed in both symbolic and literal darkness. In the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene doesn't have a backstory like we find in some of the other Gospels. In John, Mary Magdalene is simply a faithful disciple that has been with Jesus all the way to the cross and remained there until his last breath. And on this morning, she is learning to walk in this new darkness, a darkness that she hoped never would come. In the three synoptic gospels, we read that in the final hours of Jesus's life, darkness covered the whole land. But I imagine for Mary Magdalene and the other followers of Jesus, that this darkness continued to fill their minds and their hearts and their spirits for these days that follow the death of Jesus. Grief, as well as fear, likely consumed them. We know that some of Jesus' followers were hiding for their safety. Some may have been hiding out of guilt. And even some may have fled Jerusalem and returned to the places where they originally lived and originally came from. But one thing that all of these disciples have in common was that each of them was experiencing a darkness that they'd never encountered before. And they weren't entirely sure what to do with it. I imagine that there are some of us in this room that have felt grief like this, a grief that feels like there will never be life to live again because of who or what we have lost. In the song, It's Quiet Uptown in Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda opens it with this line. There are moments that the words don't reach. There is suffering too terrible to name. You hold your child as tight as you can and you push away the unimaginable. Many of us know exactly how this feels. We have found ourselves in spaces where grief is all consuming and we would give anything at all to have one more moment before everything changed. One more hug before the pandemic. One more chance to say I love you. One last opportunity for reconciliation and forgiveness. One last shot at feeling safe and loved before the world turned upside down. Even though this was one of the darkest times in Mary's life, she woke up 
and she journeyed to the tomb before the sun had risen. In the Gospel of John, Mary's trip to the tomb isn't because she has any logistical things to take care of, like preparing Jesus' body with spices for burial. In John, she is going to the tomb by herself and for herself to say her final goodbyes. I think this is why the resurrection account found in John is my favorite of all of the Gospels, because it gives us permission to grieve in whatever ways we need to. Grief is not something that we should be ashamed or scared of. Even in John 11, when his friend Lazarus dies, Jesus weeps for the loss of his friend. For those of us who have, who are, or who will experience tremendous loss, know this. Your grief is not something that you need to hide or bury. Your grief might come with anger and denial and depression and a host of other feelings and responses. But in the midst of all of that, know that God is there with you, even on the darkest days, and that nothing is ever too big or too heavy to cause God to turn away from you. When Mary arrives at the tomb and sees that the stone has been rolled away, it would have been a natural assumption on her part that Jesus' body had been stolen. There were plenty of people in this time who would have been motivated to take Jesus' body, both those who were his followers and friends and those who would have cried out for him to be crucified. In the midst of her shock and grief, Mary runs to Peter and the other disciple and announces to them that the body of the Lord has been taken and we don't know where it is. Peter and the other disciple then participate in a foot race that has a little bit of comedy mixed in. One disciple runs ahead and then the other passes him and then the first runs into the tomb and then the second follows and he sees and believes. And while we don't know what that disciple that Jesus loved saw or believed, we know that whatever he believed, he and his fellow disciple didn't understand it. And once they have seen this empty tomb, they return home. We don't have any accounts that they told anyone else what they had seen. All we know is that here we have disciples who are experiencing the resurrection and they still aren't fully understanding what is happening. And so they go back to the place where they came from. But not Mary. Mary did not leave. Mary stayed at the tomb and stayed with her grief, which now feels very personal as we read it. As she stands weeping at the entrance to the tomb, she finally looks inside and she sees two angels. These holy messengers ask her what she is looking for and she repeats the message that she said to the disciples, except this time she says, they have taken his body away and I do not know where they have laid it. I wonder if she said this in a slightly louder tone when, than when she told Peter and the other disciple. I wonder if she is weeping out of frustration and anger that the body of the person she so deeply loves is no longer to be found. As she turns away from the tomb, she sees a man standing there that she assumes is the gardener. He asks her, who are you looking for? She responds by trying to bargain with him and offering to take the body and to put it someplace else. She is longing to be as close to Jesus as she possibly can in whatever ways she can. Little does she know that the person she deeply wishes that she could be with is standing right there in front of her. 
I'm not sure if it was her grief that made her unable to fully see Jesus or whether Jesus was choosing to not yet reveal himself to her. The scripture doesn't tell us. All we know that at this moment, Mary does not yet know she is talking to the risen Christ. But in a split second, that changes. Jesus speaks Mary's name and suddenly she hears his voice and knows who he is. My teacher, she cries. In that moment, the tomb is no longer a symbol of death, but it becomes a testimony to the possibilities of life. This image of Jesus calling out her name should connect us back to John chapter 10, when Jesus is sharing the parable of the good shepherd. Jesus is telling those who are gathered that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and that the shepherd knows his sheep by name. When the shepherd calls out to the sheep, when the shepherd speaks their name, the sheep turn and follow him because they trust him and they know his voice. And so when Mary speaks, Jesus speaks Mary's name, she is like one of the sheep who immediately knows his voice and goes to him. Suddenly the son of God speaks and the darkness that surrounded Mary suddenly transforms to light. God speaks and it was as if life had been breathed into her spirit again. God speaks and this world is now filled with new beginnings and the reminder in all situations, in all times and with all people, God is there. Jesus then tells Mary, don't hold on to me. I imagine that Mary probably moved towards Jesus to embrace him. This wouldn't be an unrealistic response to what she was seeing. Here standing in front of her is the person that she loves the most, who she thought was gone forever, who she would never get to see again. And instead he is living and breathing and making sense of all of the confusion. Of course Mary would want to embrace and touch the one that she loves and misses. Wouldn't you? But Jesus knows that he cannot be contained to this place and that Mary cannot hold him here. When he says to Mary, don't hold on to me, it's because he knows that she has work to do and it can't wait a second longer. Go and tell my brothers, your brothers, your siblings, what you have seen. In the midst of this one-on-one -on -one conversation and relationship that Mary has with Jesus, that we have with Jesus, there is an invitation for us to return to our community. This encounter that Mary has with Jesus is not one that she should hold in her heart and keep to herself. Instead, it is one that she should announce and proclaim to anyone who will listen. That proclamation is one that we are hopefully still hearing today in our own lives, not just on Easter Sunday, but each and every day. Mary understood the assignment. She knew that whatever she had experienced was too big for any one person to know. And while she may have preferred to hold on to the familiar and safe thing by staying in the garden, instead, she steps forward into the unknown. She steps out of an expected ending and into a new beginning that will change the world. She could have had the same response as the two disciples who have already left her, and she could have returned home and held these things in her heart. But nevertheless, Mary persisted, and better yet, Mary preached. She went to the disciples and announced to them, I have seen the Lord, and she shares with them what she heard from Jesus. She does not let fear hold her back. 
She doesn't let her confusion get in the way of her faith. She goes and shares the good news because after what she has seen and experienced, there is no other option other than to proclaim and preach it to everyone who has ears and who will listen. The good news that she is proclaiming is only the beginning of an ongoing revelation of what resurrection means. The revelation, this revelation is one that we are still in the midst of today and is one that will continue for all eternity. At the beginning of Jesus's ministry, the very first question he asks is, what are you looking for? Throughout the Gospel of John, we read stories of Jesus meeting people exactly where they are and meeting with them as they try to answer this question, what are you looking for? Through teaching and healing and being with them, Jesus shows them what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to be a member of the family of God. In John 3, Jesus tells them that God loved the world so much that God could no longer be contained to the heavens and that God came to earth in the form of a person who lived each and every day, showing those he met what it means to be loved by God and what it means to love others in the same way. So at the end of John, Jesus asks another question, this time to Mary, who are you looking for? In typical good church answer fashion, Mary replies with Jesus. She is looking for the one that gave her life meaning, the one who showed her how to live and to love, the one who sees her as a beloved child of God and accepted her just as she was. When Jesus tells Mary to go and tell the world what she has seen, he is giving her the opportunity to go and tell the world that love is no longer wrapped up in this one person. Love is no longer seen through the life and work of only Jesus. This next chapter of God's mission and vision for the world is for the love of God to become so deeply ingrained in the lives of those who experience it that they can't help but share it and live it each day. No longer will darkness and fear be the things that fill the world and our own hearts, but light and love will overcome it. My friends, on this Easter Sunday, do not let your life be overcome by darkness. Do not let fear and confusion take control. Allow yourself to be open to hearing the voice of God calling out to you. And I hope that you know that voice so well that when you hear it, you turn and you follow it. Remember that no matter where you go and what you are searching for, God is already there. And may you always be ready to share the good news with the world. The good news that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.